Hello, willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 269 on Sunday, the 12th of February, 2023. Broadcasting live during Operation Bluebeam. Okay. <laughs> well, it's either that or the Anunnaki have returned okay. and, and they're dropping UFOs all over the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, you were just telling me about the UFOs. I was unaware. Yeah, we might come to that later. Anyway, I'm Phil. I'm Matt. And tonight we're joined by Keith Hunter, the deconstructor of occult physics. How are you doing, Keith? And uh, Not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks for joining us. I've been really excited yeah. about this one because I was going through your website, um, our mate Matt from the uh, Apocalypse YouTube channel um, put us on to you a while back, I think when he came on the podcast maybe, um, and he'd been reference, referencing your work, and that led me to your website. And there's an absolute ton of information on there about all these uh, sort of strange esoteric subjects. Um, yeah, I thought his work, I've seen his videos on his Apocalypse channel, I thought his, his Atlantis find, I thought was absolutely brilliant. I, um, personally... If you know, if I had a gun to me and say, you know, what is the location of it? You know, everybody, every man and his dog's got an answer for that. But um, I think he's he's got the answer. I think that is decisive. That underwater anomaly dimension seems to fit. That's why I did an essay on it on my own website. But what I did was um, I looked at it in terms of um, kind of what you might call earth grid analysis, um, an analysis of. Um, the placement of it, because there seem to be connections between various sites, um, you know, like the Great Pyramid, Stonehenge, uh, in some Chinese pyramids. There, there's some very interesting connections between many different sites around the world and how they, the, the arc, the Great Circle arc length connections linking them up appear to have, um, sorry, special ratios, which um, which are very basic and very exacting that decisively for me say, hey, this is not due to chance and there's a network and that somebody who placed them there did have that exceptional knowledge of the true dimensions of the Earth as a true Earth ellipsoid model. And uh, I think the interesting thing about us today, like, um, you know, science-wise, is that we have now got to the point where we are able to map the Earth ourselves and we've got to a certain level of science where we are able to now understand some of the things from the past that were a mystery to us. And they were purely a mystery because we just didn't get that scientific level to be able to uh, to figure it out. And it's the same with things like um, esoteric calendar systems. Like that's also something I discuss on my website, like the Mayans and, and how they, they target special conjunction patterns, centuries or even millennia in advance, which on a precise day do trigger 
a kind of resident agitation of the solar system. And those, again, we can only reconstruct those because we have now got accurate models of the solar system and we can wind it back. Just right. guys like Velikovsky, for example, you know, his book came out in 1950 and he came up with a few research dates, brilliant dates. So he literally put in his book, you know, he said uh, the 23rd of March, 687 BC, and there was one, I think it was 26th of February, 747 BC. Velikovsky could not, in 1950, plug in his PC, press the power button, and load up Starry Night Pro and wind the solar system back. If he could, he'd have seen some amazing conjunction patterns on those dates. But because he didn't, his research went in a certain direction, which I think was in error. And uh, so he got part of it right, but we're all trapped in time. I mean, even I have to say there's certain research avenues that I can't go into because I don't have the necessary skills to model certain things, mathematically especially. But there are certain programs like right now which do allow for advanced analysis of it. So one of the things I was really interested in um, are the ideas of ancient measurement systems, especially even of astronomy. I mean, uh, geometry literally means Earth measure. And uh, it was all about, did the Earth once have 360 days per year was one of the, the critical things, you know, and I was thinking, because it's now 365 and just under a quarter. And so I was, I was interested in this. And then I got looking at the, the measures that we map on the Earth and looking at, say, the metric system of kilometres and then looking at imperial measures and looking at, um, is there some way to deduce an ideal Earth form as the Earth expanded or, you know, as it changed? Right. Yeah. And uh, what does this say about an ideal system of measures that might be mapped onto it? A lot of researchers out there have tried to um, look at various structures and they use angular measures. They assume, hey, we're going to split up the Earth into 360 parts called degrees. Each one of those is minutes of arc, you know, 160th of that, and then seconds of arc, 160th of that. But they're using an ideal system over an Earth, which has actually expanded when what they need to do is work out what the correct ideal arc length measures me measures are and use those. And that was one of the, that's why I talk about in my book. I, I literally go in depth into this and I show that imperial measures, as we understand them, as we use them today, Britain and even in America, because they, they bought it from us kind of, the foot unit, as we have it today, is a brilliant unit. And it is tied into the ideal Earth orbit involving a 360-day orbit and also the ideal Earth form. That's one of the things I found. So I was very interested in a lot of the research about Earth grids and connecting up various uh, monuments, and that led me to uh, to look a lot into the issue of what are, what's the ideal measurement systems and how are these um, structures linked? Because one of the things people are interested in is patterns. They want patterns. One of the books out there, for example, that I uh, looked at Earth grids is this one here. I got this from... Um, uh, Adventures Unlimited Press. And it, it talks to all these different guys with various grid patterns. Like, so you've got this dodecahedron, icosahedron grid, you know, things like that. And one of the guys in here, his name's Bruce Cathy. And, uh, you know, he, he himself wrote some books. And again, I got, I got through Nexus magazine about 25 years or so ago. And uh, one of his books is this one here, The Energy Grid. And uh, Bruce Cathy's my big hero, you know. Um, he's another guy like Velikovsky, trapped in time. He modelled things a certain way in his calculations, assuming a spherical Earth model, because back in, like, 60s when he was doing his research, you know, it's like 
it's pen and paper, isn't it? And if you were to say to somebody, you've got a true earth ellipsoid model, you've got one latitude longitude coordinate, you've got another one, work out the arc length. That is a laborious mathematical calculation. And personally speaking, I don't know how to do it. But I do know how to go on a little website where somebody's already got the programming there and just plug in the coordinates. And I, uh-huh. presto, even I myself could never have achieved the research I've done if I weren't relying on these, these brilliant little discoveries technologically. So... So that's the kind of thing that I was looking at there. And um, so what I wanted to talk about is some of the very advanced things that are found in terms of precision. I do see a lot of the researchers out there that have gone into this area, and you know, all due respect to them, uh, they tend to be modelling it incorrectly using angular measures over an assumed spherical Earth. So when they're trying to make these connections ratio-wise, linking up various things they're not getting the precise ratios and they don't see the right patterns. Mm-hmm. Bruce Cathy himself, through a brilliant deduction, got the crucial pattern, at least partially correct, but he kind of he went down a wrong research path with it and he failed to make certain breakthroughs. And, and I effectively followed on from him. So if you want to bring up the first slide and I'll 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 get into um yeah, can I'll be. get into what he, he actually found here. So you know, you know, Keith, when you say an ellipsoid model, do, is, when you say that, do you mean the fact that the earth's wider at the equator than it is at the poles? Yes. Right. Um, if you think about an earth, if it's, if you've got a pure sphere, obviously the radius is the same in all directions. Because the earth is spinning, it's got an axis of spin, and so it compresses the poles and expands. Yes. So if you think about a two-dimensional ellipse and you just rotate the whole thing, right? That is the correct model of of the Earth. Cool. Right. Got yeah. So this is why elliptical geometry is far more advanced than uh, normal circular geometry. Mm. Mm. Um, and whoever positioned some of these megalithic monuments, they had to have had a true knowledge of ellipsoid geometry. Wow. So if you look in this slide here, then his, this is one of the things that set Cathy going in his research. Because Cathy, you know, he lives in New Zealand. Well, he died a few years back, but he um, he's from New Zealand, right? So he spotted an article in the New Zealand Herald, 5th of December, 1964, of um, this weird aerial, which I believe is something like two or three miles down, you know, under the ocean. And it was, a, I think it was a US survey ship called the El Tannin. So it became known as the El Tannin Aerial. And in this article, they literally gave you the precise coordinates of it. And he's looking at this weird structure, all these little, you know, little lines like cross beams across it. And he thinks, you know, what, what if they're all like aligned to some global pattern? And this is like a nodal point of where it is. And so he basically deduced the grid pattern that you see on the right of the screen, right? Mm. And uh, you see we've got like a polar pattern here, but uh, what you've got here is uh, effectively a cuboid grid matrix where imagine you've got a cube sat inside the earth and you've got eight points of the cube touching the the surface of the earth, right? So you're going to have four in the northern hemisphere and you're going to have four in the southern hemisphere. And what Cathy found was, you know, what he deduced, he thought that... This aerial here was positioned at one of the the eight corners in the southern hemisphere, nearly 60 degrees south. And he thought all these lines, they must refer to a global pattern. And so he basically connected up what were the effective of the eight points of a cube within the Earth with a series of great circles and small circles. And that's the kind of pattern that you get there. Okay. I will just say, I say it's a cuboid. Cathy never seems to have completed the pattern fully because... He missed the cube itself within the Earth. 
and that completes the total number of cross beams. He only seemed to get half of it. He got the gray circle and small circle parts, but he, you know, he didn't get the rest of it. But the other point is, and this is the crucial error that Kathy made, and it's right there in that diagram. He thought that this was some kind of uh, energy grid pattern which was aligned to the magnetic field of the Earth, right? And so you can see in that diagram there that point A is the geophysical axis of the Earth, and he thinks that point B, you know, when he constructed it, is going to be the magnetic north, right? So he aligns it there. This is his mistake. Um, the, he thought this pattern was unique, linked to the magnetic field. It is not. This is a pattern that is linked to megalithic structures, military bases even, and all you need to do is look at different cuboid forms, depending on the latitude of these structures, and it, it gives you different great circle arc lengths, okay? And so this is what I'm going to show you here about the high precision involved here, because this is where we go further with Kathy's work. So do you want to bring on the next slide? Yeah. Just, yeah. just before we talk about oh, that sorry. next slide, can I just ask, this might be yeah. a really stupid question, um, but this, the, the aerial, is that actually a structure? Or is that, a, I don't know, a pattern that they found on the on the seabed floor? No, an actual structure. This is the thing. I know there was some controversy of it, and the... <laughs> The US Navy tried to say it was a plant, basically. Right. They literally said it was a plant. But okay. what Kathy was saying is, no, this looks like a proper artificial aerial. And it was captured almost by accident by an undersea survey by this US vessel. Right. Okay. And so that was the image. <laughs> and they gave you the coordinates. But they put up a story saying it's actually a plant. But no, right. the precision of it is so incredible. It's it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's made, I said about it's made the foot. of unobtainium. And I was just about, <laughs> I was thinking exactly the same thing, you know. You know, so, I was talking about the foot unit as being exceptional and, and how certain things are tied into it, right? Mm. Well, if you've got this latitude south, 59 degrees, eight minutes south, and if you were to look at the Great Pyramids, northern latitude, right, which is a 50, sorry, which is 29 uh, degrees. Uh, 58 minutes and 51 north. If you look at the arc length separating both of two, pure latitude arc, it comes down to uh, practically dead on. I think the sequence is um, it's 324 0000. Um, it's, it's like really precise. It's almost like 25 feet or so off that. Really precise stuff. And it's got an intriguing connection, this aerial, to the Great Pyramid. But right. if you want to slide with Great Pyramid then, so let me just show you mm. the initial one here. This is... This one? We've got a few essays on Great Pyramid, but this is the introductory one where I talk about the builders of the Great Pyramid possessed highly sophisticated mathematics, right? And they knew the true dimensions of the Earth. They had to, to position this where they did. And uh, they obviously knew how to get to those locations. And this implies that it's a global civilization. So if you just move on to the next slide. Sure. This here then um, is basically, see the bottom right, the coordinates. I got them straight out of Graham Hancock's book, actually. They're the ones mm. he uses. Right. 29 degrees, 58 minutes, 51 seconds of at north, and 31 degrees, 9 minutes east longitude, right? Mm. So imagine then, here we've got the Earth ellipsoid, and where that little triangular point is there, that's the Great Pyramid positioned <laughs> at this 29, 58, 51 north, right? Yeah. So that's where it's positioned here. Right. Imagine it's sat right there then at one of the eight points of an internal cuboid, right? Yes. 
So I can see it. Yeah. If we just move on to the next uh, slide, I'm going to go there. What you've got here, then, if you just first look to the one on the uh, the left, I've got rid of the cube, and I've used some great circle arcs that connect up those eight points, right? So that those eight points are there, but they're now established via a series of great circle arcs that uh, all connect up the points, yeah? Right. And uh, so what you've got then here, and this is the key point I want to talk about, how there's certain special relations of this pattern. I haven't given you the whole matrix of all of the great circle arcs, and I haven't given you the small circles ones. I've just extracted. I'm just showing you partially what the pattern is, just because otherwise it'd be really complicated, that uh, pattern on the left. But if you then look to the pattern on the right then, I want to draw your attention then to the, uh, the position where the pyramid is located, right, position A. And if you look, we've got the the four upper points of the cuboid, A, B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. And there's a great circle arc which connects up point A to point B, right, to the adjacent point. And that's marked X, right? right. And you can also notice the, the Z, which is just to the left of that, uh, that is the elliptical arc from the equator to the Great Pyramid. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was then, using that, uh, latitude for the Great Pyramid. You can pull all this, put all this into a, a precise Earth ellipsoid model, the, the most advanced we've got, the WGS84 model, and you can work out what the X dimension is, right? And if you multiply that by four, you're effectively adding up the arcs A to B, B to C, C to D, and D back to A. So you have four X. So if you move to the next slide, now you can see then right at the top there, it says 4x, and the answer is 20,917.36136 miles. These are all very precise values, you know. Yeah. And then you've got the latitude from the equator, which is that uh, 2,061.702612 miles, yeah? And all we're doing is a simple ratio. Just divide one by the other. And you can see the numeric sequence in bold there. It's 10.1456.7340. Now, why is that so intriguing? It looks like a random thing. Well, if you know your astronomy, and you can see it at the bottom of the slide right there, if we take what is oh. the precise value of the Earth's <laughs> tropical year and divide by 360, this ideal, you get the same sequence. The decimal points in a different place is 10 times different. Yeah. But it's practically the same sequence. And you might ask yourself, what kind of error are we talking about here? What, what adjustment to the latitude of the Great Pyramid perfects that ratio sequence. So the answer is an adjustment of just 50 feet latitude-wise. If we just shift it 50 feet, we get that perfect ratio that matches the, uh, you know, the, the value of the current Earth divided by 360, but just with a decimal point there. And again, it makes you think straight away, what are the odds of that being due to chance? Practically <laughs> zero. It's so precise, you know, and the, the actual number of feet for the circumference of the Earth is something like, um, it's literally about 131 million feet, right. you know, for the, the full circumference of the Earth. So if we're talking about a 50 feet difference to make that perfect, you can see we're dealing with really fine judgment calls. And this is why I say to you, you know, when you're looking at a lot of these um, connections, assume the ancients were geniuses, okay? Um because when they, when you are studying the positions of some of these things, you seem to get incredible ratios of high precision 
And the again, I'm using like our most advanced models for the Earth, you know, in terms of locating them. And right. then we're just examining the ratios connected with different structures and different components to the Earth itself, the Earth dimensions. And you get these incredible connections like this. So it makes you think, no way is this due to chance, you know. Well, that's, So you want to move on to the next slide. I was going to say, Keith, that, that 50-foot difference, I mean, the pyramid itself is like 400 feet wide. And, it, it's uh, 756 feet. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. It's like internal. It's like within the, the yeah. pyramid itself dimension, you know. So and that, that 50 feet discrepancy could well be down to the modern software, the modern uh, surveyor, the satellites, you know. Well, it's not so much that. It's even the model itself. If you take the WGS84 model, uh, it's based upon um, a precise value that they give for, say, the equatorial radius of the Earth and also measure flattening of curvature. If you just ever so slightly tweak some of these, very slightly, just change a couple of slight numbers, mm. that itself can dynamically change everything. So, wow. you know, it, it's within tolerance for the model's accuracy itself, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah okay, so yeah. now I'm going to show you something quite amazing. <laughs> What I've just demonstrated then is that we appear to have a cuboid grid pattern that appears to be connected to the Great Pyramid, an ancient megalithic structure. Well, it turns out that various military facilities, you know, covert bases, they are positioned in such a way as to make you think they were constructed at their own positions, again, for the purposes of establishing one of these patterns. And they are actively established. I mean, I totally believe the Great Pyramid was a device that was meant to be set into vibratory motion. We've all seen these videos, um, you know, on the internet where people have got some kind of vibrating metal plate and they sprinkle some sand on it, yeah? And when they vibrate it and it gets to certain key frequencies, amazing patterns start emerging, like circular patterns, lines and whatever, yeah? Right, yeah, cymatics. Yeah, I think the Great Pyramid was deliberately meant to be positioned where it was, set into vibratory motion with internal equipment to literally establish that cuboid pattern. And <laughs> these lines are lines of true energy, if you will. I don't think they're of the electromagnetic spectrum, possibly scalar, scalar beams, but I do think it's a real energetic pattern that resonates with the Earth. That was the whole point of it, yeah? Right. And what you've got here are some bases which appear to be doing the same thing. So these are from Google Earth. And again, anybody can go on Google Earth, zoom right in on these coordinates here these are like the center point coordinates of significance of the biggest buildings in these complexes yeah we've got the latitude longitude coordinates for a signals intelligence base which is a u.s base in menwith hill in the here in the uk you know it's one of these bases where you've got the big golf ball things you know yes. the ray domes in and that yeah, kind of thing yeah, there, yeah. Mm. and over in australia you've got a kind of sister site again big golf ball things it's same thing think about australia though they built a, a shaft into the ground about six miles deep, and they've got some kind of thing going up and down or something to like a pulsating the earth again. It's like what with Tesla was. You find to an do. aerial there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some, something there is being deliberately built to kind of create a vibratory motion, right? Wow. So if you if you've got the coordinates here, I'm going to show you a critical connection between them, and again over the true Earth ellipsoid model. So do you want to move to the next slide? Um, are we going to see a black helicopter outside soon? <laughs> yeah, might do, yeah. We might wake yeah. up in a FEMA camp at this rate. <laughs> so this is where, if we consider Menwith Hill to be located at point A, at 5400 30.70 north, okay? Oh, and again, we've got that embedded cuboid, which naturally is formed, because the minute you select any point on the Earth, you can immediately say, okay, that's the point 
of a cuboid, so all the other seven places fit into it, yeah? Yeah. So if you if we position that there, we've got Menwith Hill at position A, and it's at one of the corners of the cube. Its reciprocal point, then, in the, um, the southern hemisphere is in exactly the same latitude, but just southwards, yeah? Mm. And so the great circle arc of the surface of the ellipsoid Earth connecting up A and B is position M, okay? And that is the precise value you get there in feet and also statute miles. So move on to the next slide. This one is for Pine Gap. We're looking at a different component, right? Because Pine Gap's a lot near the equator, the cuboid within it is a lot more squashed, yeah? Right, yeah. And so if we put Pine Gap and say, okay, Pine Gap's at point C, that's at the latitude 23, 47, 56 south, yeah? Uh, minutes, uh, so it's degrees, minutes, and seconds south, yeah? And we look at the reciprocal or the adjacent point D here, just across from it, and we look at the great circle arc connecting up those, that's got a value of X, which you can see there's that 2946 figure there at the top, yeah? Mm -hmm. So if you go to the next slide, if you do a simple division sum between these components, you get this value, 1.3333, you know, 519. And again, it's like almost perfectly the fraction four over three yeah. so what does that tell you what kind of error rate adjustment here again we're talking about literally i think it's like 100 feet or something silly like that if you adjust to the position of one of these structures yeah that that ratio is perfect so you know how with, with resonant agitation it's all about fitting wavelengths into a, a you know a whole number of times into a, a larger wavelength yeah get a resonant agitation. So this tells me that there will be an active communication linkage between the Pine Gap site and Menwith Hill through resonant agitation, that they could do something at Pine Gap with that aerial, say, excite the earth. And because of the close harmony, that the, the grid pattern at Pine Gap interacts with the grid pattern, the cuboid pattern hanging on Menwith Hill, and you get that connection. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, so that's so, similar to sort of like if you play a certain frequency at a white, a crystal glass, it'll shatter. Is that, yeah, that sort it's, of it's the same kind of thing, yeah. Right. So, again, it, it shows you that the placement of these uh, structures is in no way due to chance. Yeah. But you will only see these relations if you're modelling them in terms of a true Earth ellipsoid model. Otherwise, they're invisible to you. If you try modelling these things, you know, um, with uh, a spherical model, uh, you know, and you just plugged in the same latitude, longitude coordinates, they're not as perfect as these. The, the, it's a, you know, you wouldn't see this like 1.333. You wouldn't see all the threes there and think, ah, I know what that is. Right. That's four divided by three. They can be degraded to such a level that you may even miss the crucial connections. And this is what a lot of researchers out there do. They miss the crucial connections because they're not modeling things correctly themselves in terms of the true model. But this is the kind of thing. So the, these white slides here are, um, are the are diagrams and screenshots directly from my book. Right. Uh, the ones, the other ones uh, for the Great Pyramid from my website. But I go into both of these structures in more detail in my book. Mm. Um, and so uh, the, just one other thing I'll passing, I'll just mention this in passing. If you take the direct great circle arc between Menwith Hill and Pine Gap and you divide it by three, and then you take the equatorial circumference of the Earth and divide that by eight, you will get the same value. You get, yeah, it's about, is it 3,100 uh, miles or so. But the thing is, the wavelength value, if you consider it as a wavelength, right, mm. 
consider that as a distance value as a wavelength. It is actually when you use the speed of light and you use that as a wavelength, the frequency is just slightly under mathematically 60 hertz, okay? Mm. 60 hertz is a power grid thing in the US. Yeah. And so there's your connection there. So wow. you've got a couple of connections. You've got the latitude placement of Pine Gap connecting it to the Earth grid matrix of Men With Hill, and then you've got the longitude placement establishing that connection to a 60 hertz power grid thing. So you can see how precise these structures are positioned, you know. Uh, you know, so they had to, and I understand that the, the Australian government, there were a guy who was a private landowner, and he owned the land around Pine Gap, and <laughs> they want the US government wanted it. So from what I gather, you know, allegedly, allegedly they made this guy an offer he couldn't refuse, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, they needed that plot of land, otherwise these connections wouldn't work, you know. So wow. let's see now. If you wanna go to the next slide. Okay. This is where we take things to a whole new level. And again, this is following on from Bruce Cathy's work. <laughs> so one of the most fascinating things about the Earth grid patterns and the great circle arcs connecting various things, right? We could take the coordinates of two structures, like Pine Gap and Menwith Hill, and evaluate their positions relative to one another. But these are fixed structure, structures on the ground, right? Mm. One of the things that um, Bruce Cathy found was that you could do the same kind of evaluation with respect to nuclear weapons, right? And this is where things get very dynamic because if you've got a nuclear weapon, say, let's say you're doing a surface test, you've obviously got your bomb at a certain position on the ground, yeah? That's the fixed point, right? Yeah. But what he found was that uh, when the devices were activated, if you looked at the position of the sun mapped onto the Earth, right, the coordinates of that, he found that the arc length measures connecting up those two things also seemed to be of a special type that implied it was not due to chance. They were choosing to set off tests when certain arc measures were established, okay, which is quite fascinating. When you say the sun, what do you mean by the sun mapped onto the earth? I don't follow That's that what that idea. diagram uh, is on the left, and this is what I'm just about to show you, right? right? If you take the earth, as you can see there in that diagram on the left, mm. We've got the equator of the Earth, right? If we right now, for sake of argument, freeze the solar system, freeze the rotation of the Earth and the orbit of the Earth, right. and draw a straight line from the centre of the Earth to the centre of the Sun, oh my that line will pierce through the surface of the Earth. Right. And so that gives you the coordinates, the latitude-longitude coordinates of the Sun positioned on the surface of the Earth, yeah? That's right, what yeah. that little image of the Sun is there on the left. Do you see it, yeah? Yes, I get it. I understand now. Yeah. That's wild. And so imagine then you've got a bomb position, like in the, the diagram there, yeah? And that's located, you can see, with the circle with a cross in it, yeah? Mm -hmm. And so imagine you've just triggered your bomb at a certain precise time. If you freeze the solar system then, you'll have a, a great circle arc connecting up the bomb to the sun, and that's that D, that's the arc length D, yeah? yeah? You may also look at the arc length from the latitude of the sun up to the latitude of the bomb. So it's not a direct one, but it's just a pure latitude separation. That's L, right? So, and if you look to the diagram on the right, you'll see a few other connections. You could look at just say the pure longitude separation between the sun and the uh, 
the bomb, which yeah. is E, okay? And you can also look at the separate latitudes to the equator for each of them. Basically, all those uh, arc lengths which are in bold, all of these appear to be, uh, you know, employed when people are triggering nuclear weapons. And so I'm going to show you now uh, a series of, uh, and this, again, it's a very precise analysis that makes use of the most advanced Earth ellipsoid models we've got mm. uh, for the time, 1950s. Uh, it's going to make use of the declassified nuclear archives, and I'm going to show you some of the most prominent nuclear devices out there which have been detonated. And we're going to use the U.S. Naval Observatory's own software. That's what's involved in these calculations. So it's the most you know unimpeachable sources of info here. So if you move on to the next slide, then I'll show you what I mean. I'm excited. I'm but a excited nice now. Here. <laughs> so if you look to the top left, it says King USA. King is the code name for this specific test, and it was carried out in any Wetok Atoll um, in the Pacific. It's the 15th of November, 1952, and we have the precise time when it went off in universal uh, coordinate time, and it's half a megaton. And King stands on record as the highest yield pure fission device that the US detonated. It was a free fall bomb drop, and they let it fall, and just when it was about to hit the ground, then it blew up, right? Mm. So we've got the bomb coordinates there, latitude and longitude in the middle. And using the US Naval Observatory software, if you plug in that precise date and time, you can work out the coordinates of the sun mapped onto the Earth, yeah? Yep. And uh, if you look at the diagram to, you know, the image to the right here, I've actually positioned you. See, the bomb location is in red, and you've got the sun ground position. It's you know, kind of near where New Zealand is. You can just see New Zealand at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so that yellow line is the great circle direct arc of the surface of the Earth connecting up those two points when the bomb goes off. And because the Earth, right, when the Earth's rotating, right, at the equator, it's 1,500 feet. You know, the sun is moving longitudinally 1,500 feet or so. It's you know, about 1,524 feet, yeah, per second, Okay. So this is a dynamically established arc length because when they trigger the bomb, right, they do it, and then the sun, wherever the sun is, mapped onto the Earth, that arc length is established. It is fleetingly established, that arc length, mm. because it's changing all the time due to the rotation of the Earth, you see. Yeah. So the, the thing is, when they set off these bombs, it, it, it immediately fixes what that arc length is, right? Mm -hmm. So if you move on to the next slide... This one here is shot Bravo, the highest yield nuclear test the US has ever conducted, 15 megatons. And this was in 1954, 28th of February. It's at 1845 universal time. Again, we've got the bomb coordinates from the USD classified archives. And if you use the US Naval Observatory software, you get the sun coordinates, right? Mm. And so again, I've done a nice diagram to show you where they were both located. So it's Bikini Atoll, and the bomb is in red, just on the globe there, just near to the uh, left-hand side, and then you've got the sun ground position. So this is a big arc length here. And again, this is fixed in time. The minute they triggered the bomb at that time, that arc length was established, okay? Yeah. So here's the money shot. Do you want to move on to the next slide? You've got the two great circle arc lengths in orange in boxes, and if you do a simple division, some you get the answer, 2.6666625 or so. 
which is the ideal fraction, 8 divided by 3. And the error rate, about 200 feet. So what do we conclude from this? Do you think this is due to chance? No. They basically, when they did the Bravo test later on after King, they said, well, the arc length that we use connecting the sun to the King test, well, we know that's an important arc length, and so what we're going to do is we're going to divide it by three, and then we get the a, 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 cru a crucial component there we're going to use, and then we multiply it by eight, and we're going to do the Bravo test, and we're going to trigger that bomb at such a time so that the direct arc between the sun and the bomb is eight times that, you know, that, that ratio. You understand what I'm saying, that component? And again, you, you've really got to wrap your head around it. Split-second timing. Remember, longitudinally, the sun sweeps out about 1,500 feet every second. The error rate here is about 206 feet. So it tells you that when they were doing these tests, and this is just one example, I could give you loads, they seemed to want to do them when the sun was in a certain special relationship to when the devices were triggered. And what researchers have pointed out is that they think that the position of the sun actively affects the yields of the devices. And so they were doing this to ensure that the yields were boosted in some way via a kind of resonance, you know? So that's where they were coming from here. And it's an astonishing find. Again, this follows up from the work of Bruce Cathy. Bruce did his own, um, he did a couple of, uh, you know, tests he put in his books. But I've got to tell you, again, he's modelling in terms of a spherical Earth. Bruce would never have seen these relations here because you need to use a true Earth ellipsoid model. But they're staring you right in the face there. So this, again, is, is covered in my book. In my, in my book, there's like a 60-page chapter. It's the longest chapter where I give you pages of analysis of nuclear devices. Because what I do in my book, I start out with looking at the solar system, ancient measures of expanding Earth, etc., and then we go into ancient megalithic structures like the Great Pyramid, and then we go into the bases like Pine Gap and Menwith Hill. Uh, I go into other NSA bases, like Buckley Air Force Base as well. And then we move on to the final chapter, which gets to research onto nuclear weapons. And it, it, you see how we go from the static to the dynamic, and now you've got fixed locations on the ground you know, where you've got these relationships which are present, ever present. And then you get the ones which involve the sun itself moving over the earth and how they're fleetingly established. And somehow they're trying to use energetic blasts like nuclear blasts in order to, uh, uh, you know, trigger uh, boosted yields for nuclear weapons. It's really fascinating how this, uh, you know, research develops. But then we get into the realm of artificial earthquakes. Before we go there, let me just point out one thing. I don't have the slides for this, but just to reiterate the point. You know when Hiroshima was bombed in 1945, yeah. uh, August the 5th? Uh, a fascinating thing, this one. Again, we've got the coordinates for Hiroshima. You know, even Kathy puts them in one of his books. We've got the, the declassified coordinates. So we know exactly what the target was. We know the exact time that the device was activated, right? And mm. um, if you know the precise time, the date and time, you can work out the position of the sun, right? right. And so it turns out that uh, the position of the sun, right? If you just look at the, forget the latitude, you just look at the longitude of the sun relative to the earth, right? 
when Hiroshima was blown up, when that device exploded. And then you look at the pure longitude of Hiroshima itself. It turns out that the equatorial Great Circle Arc of pure longitude at the equator is exactly one-sixth of the full equatorial circumference of the Earth, right? One-sixth of the full equatorial circumference, which is astounding. And again, the bomb itself is in the air for 43 seconds. So every second that passes, the Earth's rotating about 1,500 feet yeah. is passing, you know, and then it turns out that when that bomb is activated, that arc length, longitude-wise, between Sun and Hiroshima, one-sixth. Again, margins of error, a couple of hundred feet or so. Do you know what I mean? Like one second of time in error, and the bomb's in the air for 43 seconds. You've really got to wrap your head around it, okay? But again, that's all on record. Anybody can reconstruct that, and I do in my book. If you want to go to the final slide, though, this is where... We have something very fascinating. I know it's a bit of a, uh, as I put it, an info dump. <laughs> but, you know, uh, if you look to the top right, what this uh, slide is all about is the famous, uh, you know, infamous Japanese earthquake. The magnitude 9.0 caused that Fukushima meltdown, right? Yeah. And so, again, the time of it is taken straight from the official Australian government, which actually they took it from the USGS, US Geological Survey. So you get 11th of March. 2011, five hours, 46 minutes, 27, 23, 24 seconds of time. And the coordinates, again, longitude and latitude, right? Well, again, using uh, some astronomy software, we can work out the position of the sun at the precise time. And uh, that's uh, shown in terms of Greenwich hour angle and declination. That's under the image of the Earth itself there. Yeah. But basically, uh, that's where you get uh, the position of the sun in terms of latitude and longitude. If you look at the great circle calculator blob uh, or square to the to the right, then you can see all we've done is we've put latitude and longitude for the coordinates of the earthquake, latitude and longitude for the position of the sun, and it works out the distance, right? Mm -hmm. And all we then do is we do a simple thing: we take the full equatorial circumference of the Earth in feet under the WGS84 model and divide by that distance connecting up the epicenter of the earthquake to the sun. And you find that it's one-sixth. It fits in one-sixth into the equator of the Earth, right? Again, split-second timing. The errors on this, a couple of hundred feet. Bearing in mind, you're looking at the precise moment when the earthquake was triggered, and that's when you work out where the sun is, because it's a fleeting reaction. It's a fleeting distance. That dynamic change of the arc length is changing all the time, yeah? yeah? So, again, this shows you straight out. That earthquake was not a natural earthquake. It was actually a, uh, a resonant-based blast that was uh, engineered deep underground. And again, it uses the same kind of technology as is used with nuclear weapons. So uh, it's interesting because um, people like to encode messages. I think it was about six or eight months after this earthquake occurred, there were some uh, conspiracy stories floating around that a secret underground base uh, had been hit in, uh, I think it was Virginia, maybe, I think. It was in the well, US Lang somewhere. Langley. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, it was an earthquake. We just registered in the US, basically just, you know, they do their earthquakes. And so they registered some earthquake. I think it was 5.2 or something, something like that, uh, you know, in this place. And some people pointed to it and saying, hey, that, that earthquake there, 
that actually there was an underground base that took out some bad guys. You know what I mean? And it was mm. just something like this, like six to eight months later. And you're thinking, okay, uh, is this story absolute bollocks or what? <laughs> but here's the thing. Turns out, if you look at the timestamp of when that, um, that earthquake occurred in Virginia, it was five hours, 46 minutes. It was the same Whoa. five hours, 46 minutes as you'd see for the Japanese earthquake. And so the implication was, and I spotted this, I didn't see anybody else spot this, but that's like payback. They did it <laughs> deliberately. They they have the same technology and they decided to take out a base on the ground and let the US know, we know you did this earthquake here. So we're giving it in the same timestamp. You know what I mean? Wow. So there's that to consider as well. So that's, again, this is other aspects of the technology. So um, the slideshows, obviously, you want to just take it off screen now. We can just look yeah, at each other. <laughs> so, um, this is but, so uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So my research then, um, it looks at these high precision relations and I do try to, uh, I do try to get precise coordinates of uh, things of interest, whether it's a military base, a megalithic monument, uh, or if it's something else um, like bomb blasts, you know, or, or earthquakes I'm analyzing. And I find that if you use a true earth ellipsoid model and you start to use arc length distances, connecting them up, not pure angular measures, but you just look at the distance measures, you'll find incredible ratios and they allow you to at least reconstruct some of the science behind it and even some of the intent behind it, like with the timestamps, you know. Um, There's a lot more I could say on that. I, I did a video for my YouTube channel and it was literally called A Secret Nuclear War Is Happening Right Now and that's a two-hour video and the slide shows the slides I showed you there for Bravo and King are taken from that. I, I give you all the stuff about North Korea and their nuclear weapons programs, and that they seem to have scalar beam technologies to trigger earthquakes underground. And there were two earthquakes, you know, that occurred suspiciously. They were in the mainstream press off the off the Korean Peninsula, one to the west and the other to the east. And uh, people are saying, "Oh, it's that Kim Jong Un. He's He's, he's tri- you know, he's triggering some earthquake weapon. And you know what the fascinating thing about it was? The timestamps of each of these earthquakes were 19 hours, 48 minutes, right? And you're thinking, well, what's the significance about that? Well, firstly, if you draw a straight line, a great circle out between these two epicenters, it seems to cut almost dead on the border between North Korea and South Korea, right? Wow. And do you happen to know what year the partition occurred that split up the continent? 1948. Oh, wow. And so that is in that video. And this is what this is what he did. He's using the timestamp. This is why I said to you about that Japanese earthquake one. That's mental. The earthquake went off at five hours, 46 minutes, and, and the seconds, yeah. But that other one that occurred, everybody was saying, was an attack in the US, counterattack, effective take out of base. Same five hours, 46 minutes. They like to send coded messages, you know. With timestamps, so it's astonishing that that video. If I just look at that video, there was even one. Um, there was a U.S. military uh, base. Uh, I think it was an airfield base. It was in China something. It was literally called China something. I have to check it because I looked at that video a few years. China girl. It was, <laughs> it's China something in the U.S. And again, it all it showed there were massive earthquake or some explosion or something. They just did a big cover story. It was a big devastating earthquake, 7.0 whatever, and it wrecked it all. I did an analysis of that. And again, that seems to be purely artificial. So you've got countries 
there are, it's like I said, the title of the video is A Secret Nuclear War is Happening Right Now. You've got countries attacking each other, but they're not doing it by ICBMs flying through the air. They're doing it by triggering nuclear blast-sized earthquakes from the ground. You know, when you look like a 7.0 earthquake, I think that's like a, it's like a 50 megaton bomb or something. Is it? There's a, there's a table, again, it's in my book, it's, it's a table, there's some formulas um, that, that convert yields from earthquakes to, um, yeah. to, to uh, you know... Uh, Megatonnage. Richter scale magnitude, say, to the uh, the TNT value for nuclear weapons. There's there's some, you know, conversions, but when you look at these earthquakes here, they, these are the equivalent of extremely high-yield megaton, you know, devices. And uh, the, some of the timestamps, again, it allows you to see how they're all cleverly at war with one another and sending messages in hidden in plain sight, if you know what I mean, if you just look at them. So th that's the kind of thing that my research looks at. So uh, I do think that some of these grid patterns, the cuboid grid matrix appears to be decisive in a lot of megalithic monuments, you know, in connecting them up. And and I think, as I said, Kathy's the first person to deduce it. Uh, his only error was, well, there were a couple, but the, the main error was he he thought it was a pattern solely linked to the Eltanin aerial uh, and it was aligned and associated with the Earth's magnetic field. Right. He didn't look at that pattern hung upon any other items. If he had have done, it would have just gone, his research had gone in a completely different direction, but he never made that leap, you know, and he wasn't using a true Earth ellipsoid model either, so there were connections that he completely missed. So that was where, um, you know, his research just seemed to, like, not go anywhere further than that. But he would have made some amazing further connections. Um, I'll give you another one example. You know, you know, in my book, I talk about, obviously, Pine Gap, Men with Hill, yeah? Well, there are other NSA bases out there that have been built, right? And you know the Great Pyramid? You know they always say it's famous for being aligned to the cardinal points of the Earth, you know, north, south, east, west, very important. And uh, we've got all these, uh, you know, these arc lengths up from the latitude, pure latitude up to the equator. And, you know, the dimensions of the... Again, one of the relations is if you take the uh, the physical base, which is just a slight touch on the 756 feet, and you take the, the elliptical arc from the equator up to the pyramid... The pyramid itself, base size, fits in practically 14,400 times, yeah? 14400. So this is, again, an important thing about a lot of these structures. To achieve this resonant agitation, especially with pyramid-type bases, they build the, the structures to be of certain dimensions that harmoniously fit in to components of the Earth, yeah? So, you, you know, um, if, if the US were to, like say, we're spending like hundreds of millions of whatever pounds or billions or whatever to develop a great big massive new big, you know, oh, gigantic NSA base. We're going to spine our ass off on everybody. It, it'd kind of make the news, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but here's what they've done so cleverly. Um, you know that uh, Tesla organisation Elon Musk has, yeah? That gigaplant... That massive, great big map, which is aligned amazingly enough to the cardinal points of the Earth. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No. <laughs> I did analysis of it. That is a straight out NSA facility masquerading as a car plant. Um, I'm telling you now, there's no doubt secret layers to it and, and you know, 
I would imagine underground chambers that are going to be off limits to normal people. Yeah, it'll be building a few cars or whatever. But that there, the global position, it ties in to the other facilities like Buckley Air Force Base and, you know, the ones I've just mentioned, with Earth, you know, arc-length measures of great significance and the dimensions of it fit in as well. Oh, one thing we know about, components. about so Musk that is, is, again, is famous for um, working yeah. with the state and relying on government subsidies for his companies. He's, he's very is. much tied to the uh, the public sector. Musk exactly, that's the thing. This is why he's been propped up like crazy because, I mean, that gigaplant thing, you know, all this stuff about, you know, electric cars, it's all massively subsidised. And then when you look about, it's actually more polluting with all the infrastructure to charge them all up and more petrol than it is, you know, with normal petrol cars. It's all a scam, really. But it's another one of these things that just allows the government to artificially subsidise something like a great big massive plant here. So he's taking the money in. And uh, again, Elon has probably been, he's been told, hey, we'll, we'll back you, we'll give you all this money and all that stuff. But, but you know, we want a certain section of your, your big plant that we want to use for something else and you just stay out of certain areas. It'll probably be that kind of deal. You know what I mean? Black uh, it's the same with rocket stuff. He was taking over certain was it, NASA contracts. Mm. I think this guy at some level... You know, you know, these one of these billionaire guys, they reach a certain level and they realize you know to go a bit higher, they have to do deals with the devil, so to speak, you know, yeah. shady contracts or whatever. Yeah. And and I think this is why he again he knows at some point this, this is why I think he, he does stuff like buys Twitter just so he can try and expose some of this stuff. He feels guilty. I, I personally think some part of him it, it feels like he's gotta He's got to say something, you know, against the man, you know, the man. he's got to, exactly. He knows he's done this kind of deal. So it's like, he feels like he's trying to clean his soul up a bit. If you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, that's all I can say about him. I think he's just a guy that he, he needed certain things and he's trying to uh, uh, expose some of the corruption, but he can only do it in limited ways because he's in bed with these people, you know. He's got to be careful how far he takes it. But uh, I, I do think that that's, that's the story with Elon, you know. But mm. that basically, that, that giga plant thing, I looked at dimensions, I looked at positioning, it's just it's straight out of NSA facilities, no doubt about it. You know, you, you're going back to your cuboid model. Yeah. Have you tried pegging it to either Gebekli Tepe or the recat structure and found anything there? You know, I, I don't think... I don't think Gobekli Tepe. I don't think I have. Reshat structure. I've tried looking at that and I don't think I found anything. This is this is the interesting thing about it. I mean, we've got to have a a proper structure, if you want to put it that way. I mean, like the pyramid, because you see that like the Great Pyramid A, it's a big massive thing. It's got internal, everything smacks of machine, and mm. it's it's built to precise standards. Uh I avoid at artistic structures. Like, for example, the Sphinx. The Sphinx, for me, is more of an artistic structure, not an energetic device. So when I've looked at Gobekli Tepe, from what I gather, it seems to be more of an artistic sort of structure. I know some people compare it similar to Stonehenge, but it's not. Stonehenge, absolutely, I found relations with Stonehenge. Because that does appear, again, to be uh, built to certain precise dimensions and, you know... That's in my book as well. The analysis links it to, to the Great Pyramid. It's part of the same kind of network. Um, 
So I found there, but go back to the tepid seems more an artistic thing. I've not found anything there. The reshat structure is one of these bizarre structures that if you were to ask me off the top of my head, what do I think it is? Have you seen some of these, um, I think it's more like an electric universe type thing. We talk about electrical discharges hitting them. And they say some of the things that people attribute to meteor damage is not, but it's like a massive electrical discharge through space hitting something. And that can cause certain patterns. I suspect, just my opinion, I suspect that reshat structure is something like that. So it has these wavy patterns, you know, it looks like circles. But I think it's actually caused by some kind of massive blast that struck the Earth, like an energy blast between, say, maybe the moon and the Earth. I'm just speculating, but something like that. Mm. I don't think that it's some kind of formed structure. I certainly don't think it's Atlantis, you know. I think uh, well, Matthew's idea with the, the, the structure in the Azores is, is the correct solution there. But I don't think research such as Atlantis, I think it's some sort of weird electromagnetic blast type thing, something like that. We need to talk to Dave. It. Dave Dave Stig Hansen's in the chat, and he's actually been there. He's been inside the recat structure mm. and, and filmed videos. So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm just so... You know, one of the things that interests me with the Atlantis thing is that uh, a lot of the research seems to assume that it's one centre, one city. And I remember when we had Chris Tolworthy yes. on and he was talking about that, you know, we need to broaden our thinking about Atlantis. Think about it as more of a, a series or a, a worldwide or a continent-wide civilization. you know. Oh, yeah. I, again, I, I'd agree with that completely. I think th this is the thing. When people talk about Atlantis, they... On the one hand, they might be thinking about a gigantic island continent, but really we're talking about the city. We're talking about the dimensions that Plato gives, you know. And, and that's what that structure is that I think that, um, that Matthew found. I do think that there are other structures, like there's a pyramid in the Azores that did an analysis of that one. Um, and that's on my website linked to the Atlantis one. And there's also, I think, something going off in Bimini. It wouldn't surprise me if there's stuff there. I do, as I said, it's like a global thing. Um, but... It was it was destroyed, you know. And on my website, that's where I have that big article. And I show you it was this very precise, very special alignment that destroyed it. Um, was it ninety six twelve or twenty one? I can't remember. It's one of them uh, when the alignment occurs, and it's this very special alignment involving um, an alignment of Mars, Venus, the Sun, and Mercury, where the Earth near the Pleiades. And in that particular alignment, it had a contributing conjunction of uh, Ceres, Sun, and Jupiter. Very powerful. And that's what caused the devastation. And this is why, you know, when people talk about... I know Plato gives the, the take on it that the Atlanteans were a massive warlike structure. I would disagree a bit on that. The more I'm saying is, I'm just going to say, this is something that's... It's the same thing with the um, the invasion of Ireland, you know, in 1896, I think it was, or 87, 97 BC, by the uh, Tua de Denon. When you have these um, planetary alignments which are going to cause devastation, these esoteric calendars reveal decisively that people have foreknowledge of this. So if you have foreknowledge that there's going to be a global disaster or something, you might be thinking about where the hell do you go for safety? What if you thought your island was uniquely vulnerable, say, You'd want to escape. You'd, and I think that this Atlantean war drive was actually part of desperate, a desperate attempt to escape. But they had to go to other lands. And if you're going to show up en masse, a big group, for, you know, to another land, they're going to say, hey, we're being invaded here. 
And I think that that story, I think Atlantis, partly that war that was started was because they had foreknowledge of the disaster and they needed to get somewhere they thought was city to disperse. I think that was definitely a part of it. I don't think that they were, you know, 100% warlike for the sake of it, you know, because Plato says the war was still going on and then it sunk both armies, the Atlanteans and, and who they were up against, you know, the Athenians and whatever. Again, it, we know... Athens, we know that that's more of an ancient Greek thing. Plato may be using the names, you know, of Athens, but he's referring to something proto You know what I mean? We just use it because maybe geographic, that's the area that we're in. Well, he had to relate time, the you know. story for his audience as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's got to relate it for his audience, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I do think that that's part of it. The same thing is like with the remote viewing thing that Courtney Bratton, did you ever see that Farsight Institute, the, uh, the remote viewing one? Uh, for the he did it, he called it Atlantis, but he was talking about the destruction about 70,000 BC. And Courtney Brown was saying something similar, you know, a remote viewing saw a big disaster, and he thought that some military experiment had been done to, to cause the destruction. And I don't think that at all. I think that it was done to try to save the earth. I think that the thing about these disasters, they involve a resident agitation of the earth and they involve they involve energy being transferred between celestial bodies. And I think that they were trying to have a kind of release valve to somehow deal with some of these energies to save the planet. I think that there's a lot of times in the past when we've been confronted by this. And same with the Atlanteans. They talk about using some crystal technology and whatever. They all went to right. And all I'll say is maybe they use that crystal technology in an attempt to shift the energies around so that the Earth would not be affected. And again, it just went wrong. Or it did. It would, the device was overwhelmed. I think that's a distinct possibility. Uh, so I'm not massively hard on the Atlantis. I just think that you could interpret this a couple of different ways here, you know, that they ended up desperately trying to escape and disperse, which led to the big war, and they may have been using their technology to try to alleviate the energy effects to the Earth, but again, didn't work. So again, it's just the way that it, it seems to be interpreted. It's like they're like 100% evil, but I, I think it's more nuanced, if you ask me. Yeah, like most things. What do you make of, have you seen this guy, uh, he's got a YouTube, the Dutch guy who seemed to have predicted the recent earthquake in Turkey and Syria? I am about to do a video on this uh, earthquake. I'm talking, what's his name? Is it, it begins with D, doesn't it? D, this, uh, what is it? I'm blanking on it now. Yeah. I'm bl- I know, it's, got, it's, it's, like a, it's like an element in his periodic table. What's his name? And, yeah, yeah. I know he's talking, but I've seen his work from a few um, a few videos a few years ago. I, I did look into earthquakes a while ago, and I have, I've looked into solar flares, and solar flares and earthquakes are the same kind of thing. Um, you've got to model it correctly, and I don't believe the guy's modeling it correctly. What you're looking at are the straight line distances connecting up pairs of celestial bodies, and you're looking for those special harmonic relations, like what I gave you with the uh, the Bravo and King test. You know, I said you've got this arc length here. If you divide it by eight, and then you multiply by three, you get the same arc length to the King Sun relation. Yeah, and so these kinds of relations, you're looking for wavelength measures that fit harmoniously into two components that are quite large. You're looking for special ratios present, and. Whereas conjunction patterns can be a guide to, to great disasters, and they certainly are, uh, a lot of the uh, earthquakes that we have can be special harmonic relations between pairs of celestial bodies 
which had not even been in alignment. Uh, I've done an analysis of this Turkish earthquake, and I'm, I'm going to be putting it out there on my own YouTube channel and show you some of the relations, because I do think that um, it's, it is a very important one. I think the universal time was one hour, 17 minutes, 35 seconds, and 6th of February, just go to the top of my head, because that's the, I pulled it into Starry Night and I was working all the distances. I've done the entire analysis. I've just couldn't do the audio for the video. I've got the slideshow and everything. Um, you know, it's if I, if I could practically do the slideshow right now in front of you if you wanted to. I think I've got I've got the slides. Um, but yeah, it's uh just have a look at this, just one moment. Let me just see. Uh mm. See now. No, the word I've got it. I began mm, exclusive yeah. here. No, maybe not. Depends if the tech works. Mm. No, there's a, there's a few I've done. You see, there's a few where. Uh... Nice. Hmm. Can't remember where I've got it here. Um, I don't worry about it, Kate. I think it's just, yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's it's a very fascinating one. But yeah, it's another that guy that he's talking about. Though, let me let me tell you something interesting about earthquakes because somebody asked me about earthquake forecasting. Let me tell you, there's a lot of gurus out there that have got website or YouTube channels that are twenty four seven devoted devoted to earthquakes. And um, here's the thing about earthquake forecasting for me, right? And I'm just going off to my head. We know uh, earthquakes, you know, you could go, say, to the USGS. And if you were to look from, like, today's date back exactly 365 days, one year, right? And you to say, okay, search for all earthquakes 6.0 and above that occurred over a one-year period, okay? How many do you think there are? And the answer is... Um, uh, a few hundred. In fact, I think it works out at something like, uh, oh, is it now? You get about a couple of hundred or so, such that on average, you'll get a 6.0 earthquake occurring somewhere, I think once every uh, is it four days or something, something like that. It's just insane. Yeah. It's, it's very frequent on average, statistically speaking, the 6.0 and above. So if somebody ever says to you, I'm going to make a forecast for a 6.0 earthquake. And they tell you a precise time in the future, okay? And they say it's six months from now, and you say it's like at 12 noon on this precise date, and then they tell you, my margin of error is plus or minus two days. Yeah. Straight away, they've given you a four-day range. Statistically, an earthquake occurs every five... In other words, it's random chance, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so this is why, if you're going to be getting serious about it, you've got to start looking at it. Earthquakes, like uh, 7.0 and above, it's an exponential type scale, and I believe they occur, on average, uh, one every... Oh, sorry, the, the total of me you get every year is about 14 or 15. So, you know, it might be 13 or whatever. There could be like one every 20 days or something like that, you know, so it's one every 20 days. So if somebody says to you, okay, I want to predict a 7.0 earthquake... And then they say what the date and time is, and then they say uh, uh, plus or minus uh, 
at two days. Well, well said. Say, say plus or minus one day, so it's a two-day range, yeah? In that case, if it's 20 days on average, you're going to get one, and it's two days, it's like one in 10 chance of being right. Now, I think I might get a bit lucky, but if they did that several times in a row and you multiply it up, you, the odds of them getting successes in, in you know multiple times, you'd be thinking, my God, this guy knows what he's talking about. A lot of these um, earthquake people, you know, I see like that, they're not doing any, they're not sticking their neck out for me and having like a rigorous forecast where they specify, I'm interested in earthquakes, you know, this magnitude and above. And they, they, they say, this is where I think it's going to, you know, one's going to occur this time. They give us a specified error range and then they put it out publicly. I am not aware of anybody sticking their neck out and literally doing that. I mean, some of the videos where I see, they do like commentary, like weather forecasting. They say, oh, yeah, yeah. we had a 5.0 here and another one of this. And I'm thinking, you get them like every bleeding day. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think someone is just filler nonsense. So I'm I'm not impressed by a lot of what they say because um, I just I think they've got to like do it in such a way that they are really upfront about it and the, their technique is is well-defined. And then you could at least see if they've got a track record. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. I think there's so many people out there. If you were to evaluate a lot of their guy, these guys' work, I think they're no better than chance, most of them, you know. I thought it was interesting that there was that solar anomaly around the same time that the top of the uh, northern solar pole, there used to be, there seemed to be some discharge, a big discharge happening around the same time as the earthquake. I, I don't know about that. Um, you, mean, you mean the Turkey one, the... Yeah, just this week, just this week. Yeah, there was something. There was a headline like the sun just blew its top. There was like a big solar <laughs> discharge on the north. Oh north yeah, yeah. I think maybe there was a suspicious observers video about that. Yeah, it's yeah. just that one of the infrared filter. Well, I think it was the red filter one made this something. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we just don't seem to take account of how connected everything is in our day to day lives. You know, in, in, I mean, in a celestial manner. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I, I think the thing about earthquakes is that when we look at the sun, the sun is, like, naked to us, effectively. And with certain filters, yeah, we can see the sun spots on the sun, you know, we can see things like that. Um, for me, that kind of activity is occurring literally under the crust of the earth. And whereas you might think of sun spots, I think we have, like, earth spots, if you want to put it that way. And whereas you think of solar flares, I think we have, like, earth flares which occur, and they will trigger the earthquakes underneath that interact with the crust. That's what I think is actually going on, because the same kinds of celestial relations that can trigger solar flares trigger earthquakes, because it's the same phenomena, basically. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, cool. Well, Keith, we've done well over an hour already. I don't know yeah. where the time's gone. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, you'll have to come back and do some more. Mm. And once I've read your book, it's not come yet. I was, I ordered oh, it. Oh, yeah, I've got it, I've got it packaged up right here. Have I you, saw have, your, have your you signed email. it? Have you signed it? Oh, yeah, yes, I have I signed them all, yes. Oh, I've signed them all. Yeah, this is what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, oh, there it is, there it is. There it is. <laughs> here you go, I'll give yeah. you a big uh, picture. Is, I'm going to be sending it off tomorrow at the post go. office service. Oh. I couldn't do it uh, yesterday. But uh, yeah, so it should be it should be there coming to you. There's the cover um, there. Who's the lady on the front, Keith? Just for my own. Uh, it's a professional way. model, actually. Right. Um, and is she, is she is she in Yorkshire as well? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment. I, th I think she's in Germany, actually. All oh, right, too far, uh, too far. Never mind. <laughs> 
Well, Keith, I mean, um, where's the best place for people to go? Is it to the website? Yeah, lostagesecrets.com, yeah. Yeah, I'll put um, links in the show notes for everyone. Mm. Yeah, I think with all kinds of topics, like as I said, the uh, uh, earth grid stuff, uh, earthquakes, nuclear weapons, secrets, so, you know, bases like, you know, NSA stuff as well. So it's all connected mathematically. And also cycles of destruction is my my real interest, though. We never got into that. But that's Next like... Time. Uh, Next time. That's the one. <laughs> and uh, would that be linked to procession by any chance? I could say a hell of a lot about In my book, there's a special chapter on procession. Yeah, and okay. I talk... Let me tell you an interesting point about procession, you know. If you'd ask me, when did it start? When I look at it in my book, you know, I talk about the Earth having one set 360 days per year. You've got rates of change for the Earth going back in time from, you know, current value to 360, Right. And I, I look at how that changes relative to the moon moving away from the Earth. Because if you go back in time, it was closer. And then the Earth was a bit more shrunk, yeah? So I, I look at the rates of change and all these things. And it turns out that the um, the time period when the Earth had 360 days per year was about roughly about 250-ish million years, yeah? Uh, well, do the significance of that is... Um, you know how when people talk about massive geological disasters in the past, so these millions of year cycles, like the dinosaurs wiped out 65 million years ago, there's a big massive event that occurred 250 million years ago when the Earth's crust cracked and the whole thing, right? Very fascinating. You know when you look at um, a lot of sci-fi movies, they say to you, well, guess what? We get these blasts from supernova, stars explode around us, and the shockwave hits the Earth, and that's what triggers these disasters. But as a matter of fact, whereas that can be true, there's another aspect to it. You see, what can also cause massive shock waves is not just the destruction of stars, but the birth of stars, the ignition event, the fusion event that causes them to fuse together, and that causes the massive outward explosion, right? Right. Would you, if I were to ask you to pick a star in the background star constellation, which just happens to have a birthday of around 250 million years ago. Would you like to take a wild guess which star it is? Let's say uh, Alpha Centauri. Oh, Sirius. I was going to say, say Sirius. Sirius. But Sirius is a binary. Well, you've got Sirius A, you've got Sirius B, and you've got that little small Sirius B, Sirius C, sorry. Yeah. The, the main bright one is Sirius A. And they, I think there are, is it 50 astronomical units distance from one another? And one, I think, is one uh, two, two sun masses and the other one is half. But either way, the, the Sirius B one, I think, has got a birth, is, is, um, is younger, and that's about 235 million or something. And Sirius, Sirius A is 242 million plus or minus 7 million years. But here's the thing. Sirius is our binary companion, right? It's responsible for precession. And so what we had was an ideal solar system circa 250 million years ago. The Earth had 360 days per year. All the planets were aligned. I even give you the precise orbital periods for all the ideal planets, you know. And uh, there was an ignition event which gave birth to Sirius, right? Firstly, Sirius A. That fusion event, right, is what caused the destabilization of our solar system from this incredible harmony. And, you know, I think we were originally, because our sun is something like, is it 4.6 
billion years or something. So our star is far older than Sirius. I think we were orbiting directly around Arcturus. And Sirius, when it ignited, if it had ignited like nearer to Arcturus, it would have had its own independent separate orbit around it, just like we have. But because it ignited and was created too close to us, we got caught into a binary system. And that's when precession started. I think that that's it. Some of these details that I'm going to add in to my new book because I only discovered them after this book were published, you know. But that connection to Sirius uh, was, was mind-blowing when I realised that the birth, you know, the ages that the astronomers have found is 242 million plus or minus, and it just seems to match these ratios, these rates of change that harmonise the solar system back to its ideal. Amazing stuff, that one. I feel totally vindicated now because about two years ago, I posited in the Brothers of the Serpent Discord channel that we might be in a binary system with Sirius, and they laughed me out of there <laughs> and mocked me. And I was Sirius is about... the only star that does not process. That's the key factor. That's the key. You must have that. Plus, you've because, got like um... you've got like the Dogon, the Sothic mm-hmm. calendar of Egypt, the ancient Egypts, Egyptians were all over Sirius. Yeah. It was the most important thing in the sky, you could argue. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah. Oh, I love it. Right. I can't wait for your book. It's, 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 it's going straight to the top of my list. Wow. Next one on the list. <laughs> That's big news in itself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, this has been amazing, Keith. Thanks for coming again. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. um, yeah, I'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Mm. Uh, check out the links in the show notes, as always. And uh, follow up. Check out Keith's uh, upcoming video on the on the recent disaster. And uh, we'll see you in uh, briefly for part two. Yeah. Ten minutes or so. Okay. Uh, stay on the line for us for one minute, Keith. Mm. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch the rest of you on the flip side. Okay. Sayonara. Right, then we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. As I chat with Keith Hunter, the Keith Hunter, the, the Keith Hunter, he is the Keith Hunter, the yeah. Hunter of Keiths, yeah, Keith Hunter from and LostAgeSecrets.com, and nowhere of uh, what's he called again? Sacred geometry. Yeah, we didn't do much of the sacred stuff. No, we just talked about uh, the resonance and nuclear bombs and how the, um, the governments know about how to make them stronger. Yeah, somehow. yeah. There was just not enough time to, no. to go into, like, I wanted to do more depth. But I, I want to know about the big hole in Australia. The, the hole that they've drilled with yeah. the, the uh, Atlantean aerial at the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I want to know about that. I want someone on about that that we can talk about. I wonder if Keith knows about that for next time. I think Keith knows about everything. It seemed that in way. The realm of occult physics. It did seem that way. Check out the links in the show notes and grab the book. My mm. copy's on its way. Signed, no less. Yeah. It's going top of the top of the book list. As soon as I finish Jacques Ellieu's propaganda, I'm gonna start on that. And hopefully by the end of the have it done by the end of the month, I'll do a book review for the newsletter. Oh. Willie G. Don't hold me to that. Chungus. What you have to Never. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Willie. G. G. Da, da, da. Yeah, great. Okay. <laughs> so check out links in the show notes. Mm.
Uh, what were you doing, Ben? You you were were late today. Did you have some oh, yes. uh, engagement on? Yeah, it was my mother's birthday. Oh, all right, cool. Is that a euphemism? No. <laughs> all right, okay, fair enough. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Tw- 21 again. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know how the maths works there. <laughs> Sorry, can we not joke about your mum's birthday? You giant mistake. <laughs> can we joke about... <laughs> oh, please. Even that's too far. For, that's too far for me. Have you seen the size of him? Oh, you didn't try... You know how it works. How do you know? How do I know what? Well, maybe he's, he's got Nephilim DNA in him. He definitely does. What colour are your eyes, Ben? Nephilim. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, just because I'm 10 miles away. <laughs> oh, my God! Yeah. Um, Phil's been slack. No headlines. I, don't, I can't even see a sheet of paper with um, things to read. Oh, I've got clips. Oh, right. Okay. Got some clips, but no time for headlines this week. No. Time. Um, are we just going to do housekeeping then? If you like, yeah. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, and I can stop popping my peas, um, return us some value. Yes. The aforementioned ways, my favourite way, as ever, is word of mouth, sharing links and uh, letting people know about the podcast so we can uh, grow, get more supporters and uh, put more more time into the production thereof of said product of media for your ear holes. Yeah. Good. Um, I like it when people join the Elements server. Is it called a server? An element... I think it's called a space, isn't it? An element space, um, you know, and join us in all the various chats. It's like Discord, but a bit different. Yeah, you've you got to add yourself to each room. We're not allowed a Discord anymore. No, we've been... New- so, so we have uh, element, so you can join us there, and it's a good way to drop your eavesdropping uh, ways and become a producer. Yes. And help us produce this part of the show. And the first part of the show with guest suggestions. I'm sure there's a thread there mm. in the Element server for guest suggestions. What else can you send us on Element? Videos, news articles. Um, you could send us Focus Chi requests. Oh, right. Good shout, because we had one this week. Um, where are we? It's actually a combi request, this one. Oh, right. Because we have a birthday shout-out to uh, Lee from the Big Conspire's wife. Now, I was looking at this name, and I was thinking, do you think that's Jamie? Yeah. Jamie, um, not Jamie. I would say Jame. Jame. <laughs> Heme. Hem. Jame. Hema. I think it's a hard J. Right. Jamie. Jamie. Jaime. Yeah, Jamie. Ja, 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 just say Jamie. Oh, that's it. So, right. Okay. So it's it's a birthday request, is it? It's a birthday request for Jamie. Okay. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, you giant mistake. Happy birthday, Jamie. Um, and his son. Can you believe he's old enough to have a son? I can't. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, I'm paying him a compliment. Um, starts a new job tomorrow, so we're going to send him some focus chi. 
Get off to a good start. Right, okay then. Eyes down looking. It only works if you do it with us, folks, if you're listening at home or watching yeah. on, on video. Mm. So, uh, right, let's... No name for the sun. So we'll just have to focus our cheat at Lee's son. Yeah. For his big job tomorrow. Okay. We're retaining for the prostate. Start. <laughs> Stand by. Communist. Ooh, added bonus there at the end. Uh, uh, for no further payment, that, I just threw that in there. I know, normally that costs five pounds, doesn't it? <laughs> you want to be careful that doesn't deflect the chi, of course. Uh, I know. Throwing stuff in like that randomly. Uh, you're talking to a fucking expert here. In the resonance of chi requests. Yes. And the internet. Yes. yes. Mm. I'm, the, I'm the maestro of the chi siphoning. <laughs> yeah. Hope that helps. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be fine. I mean, the only problem I envisage is that you'll be so on it on the first day, um, you're going to raise the bar. So, right. Um, you know. Damn, wait. we'll have to send some more next week. <laughs> yeah, we will. And every single day. <laughs> you know. Uh, another way you can become a producer is send us some artwork. We have unique show artwork every week. Not many podcasts do that. And uh, we like getting submissions from you lot out there. You can email us at thearmersinquisition at gmail.com or there's a thread in the Elements server there uh, for artwork. I've uh, not this up this week. Incoming. There he is. Mm. 269, Keith Hunter. Got a mandala behind him there. Mandala, yeah. Don't you just love how I've, how I've layered that with Stonehenge in the What's foreground? What's that pile of rocks at the bottom? <laughs> It's uh, that's from Spinal Tap, isn't it? <laughs> Is there eleven? <laughs> Turn the chi up to eleven. Mm. Oh, Interesting place, Stonehenge. I've I've seen it from the A three O three, right? In all its glory. Okay, they're on about building a road under it or something, weren't they? To get rid of the road next to it, isn't it? Or something. Wonder if they'll find one of those weird Atlantean aerials while they're digging. Well, yeah, maybe. If it's six miles down. <clears throat> I don't know. The other thing I didn't mention about that came into my mind and then went again was the Elon Musk Boring Company. And, right. the, link, and the link to the NSA. How's that linked to the NSA? Because they make big holes in the floor, in the ground. Oh, right, I see. Right. Is that he's, he's trying to build some? Well, he was on about building some road underground in LA, wasn't he? Some yeah. road network. Yeah, is that called a hyperloop? Am I making that? Up? Is that something else? Could be. Yeah, hyperloop. Yeah, they were going to use like magnets or something for the cars. Like a maglev, like the maglev trains in Japan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the there'd be no sort of carbon emissions, sort of thing. Right. I think that was the idea, wasn't it? And they can go super fast. Mm. They're a bit difficult to stop, though, those, uh, those maglevs. Just turn the magnets the other way. Just turn the magnets off, and it yeah. grinds on the floor. Honestly, we don't even know how fucking magnets work, man. No. It's like, shouldn't be messing, shouldn't be messing with that shit. Right. So Any other ways to become a producer? You could uh, do Ben's favourite way. Is that... Um... Buying merch from the Amish Lush, Amish Lush chest. Buying shit from the Amish. The Lush chest. Yes. <laughs> the Lush chest. 
Yeah, the uh, the merch store is open. You can grab a Bacon Nuts t-shirt if you're a big mm-hmm. fan of Francis Bacon. Yeah. Mugs are available in different designs. And loads of t-shirts. This is the design leaded, which I love. Three weeks to flatten the earth. Mm. And there's all sorts. There's literally a communist design and uh, current grape. <laughs> yeah. Current grape is still available. Yeah. And if you sign up to the newsletter, you can get a 10% discount on your purchases. So, yeah, sign up for the newsletter as well. Link in the show notes for that. Mm. You get the rum springer at the beginning of each month and you'll get a preview of the guests that we've got booked in and uh, I'm going to be putting some jokes in there, I think. Oh, Maybe God. some memes. I'm going to what? attempt to write like an article for this one on chat GTP. Do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I quite enjoyed doing the book review last, whenever it was last week. Quite enjoyed the, the process, the writing process. So I'm... Uh, so I don't really have a creative outlet anymore since stop playing music. And uh, so I'm going to try this, try writing, Ooh. see what happens. Quite enjoyed it. Nothing good comes of writing, Phil. Um, you you need to send. They need to leave us reviews. For what it's worth, you yeah. can yeah. Smash the like button, ring that bell. Uh, subscribe to us. All of those things. Spotify, you can do a, you can do the star rating on Spotify. That's uh, useful, I think. Probably. Yep. That's probably about it. Have we covered everything? Oh, what about um, <clears throat> tossing a coin? <sighs> tossing a coin helps. to your witcher. Do it for oh, the lads, lads, lads. No, because oh, we're nosing and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. If you go to theharmistinquisition.com, you'll find a PayPal button there and you can give us a one-off donation or sign up for a monthly recurring, sustaining donation. Uh, Whatever you value this podcast at, you set the value, we don't. But if you're in a position to monetarily support us, if you think it's worth a pound a a show, then give us a, a pound a show every month or 50p, three pound, it's up to you. It's your, it's your choice. How do you? What value do you get? And can you put a number on that? No. If you're in the position to. If you can't, then you do the other things. Become producer. But if you can, we appreciate your support because it's, it's dropped off this week, massively. <laughs> so, uh, right. Shall we thank them, the producers, for episode two hundred and sixty-nine. It's time to big up the Mandems, yo. Okay, producers for this episode, we have... Uh, Richard, Morris and Helen. Thank you. They are... Yeah. ...so amazing in their love and... Oh, literally. Willie G. The best mate. The Currents, the Grape, the Doctor of Thugonomics, the Homophobe, the Wind, the Chest Feeding, Communist, the, the Based Sigma Chad, the Chance, the Baby Penis, Inner Asshole, the Dime Bar, the Number 11, the Began on the Bus, the Blind Man, the Big Chungus, the Cripple, and the Mother of the Money Bickering, from Hell, Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready?
for your support for another week I, uh, I treated myself early I went to Asda and got some of these Cocoa Wonderland mm. oh yeah oh in a tin yeah they don't do the bottles anymore oh, no you got a, I got a four well I went and they sell four packs of cans for six pounds so I thought well I'll get two seeing as I'm here because I never go to Asda mm. and uh, rung it through the till multi-buy discount Ten pounds. Wow. I got two pounds off. Should have got ten packs. As the price, ching ching. Ten packs, forty cans of that. Yeah, I think that would put me off it. I think I'd be sick of it. No, you wouldn't. Because you're an animal. Okay. Okay. Good. So, how's it going, Ben? All right. Yeah. Either of you. <laughs> Good. I finished a book today. Oh, was it the young? No, you. you I gave that to you last two weeks weeks ago. ago. What what have you been reading since then? Um, The Body Keeps the Score, I think it's called. Something along those lines. The Body Keeps the Score. Sounds like like an 80s aerobics video. Is it by Mr. Motivator? No, it's by Bessel van der Kolk. And the Kolk. And the Kolk. Made up now. Does he have a big Kolk? I don't know. Um, it's about trauma or trauma. Where's he from? Holland? Uh, he is from Holland, actually. But I think he's lived in the US for about 50 years, I think. Right. When, when was actually. it published? Quite recently, I Recent? think. Yeah, in the mid... The mid... No. In the teens. <laughs> so maybe about eight years ago. Is he is he of the same sort of um, mind as Gabo Marte? Is it similar sort of material to that? What are you doing with your phone, Ben? Come on, Ben. Hear it from here. <laughs> it's interfering. Why are you such oh, a liar? Uh, that's this one, this one over here. <laughs> <laughs> is it like uh, the Gabo Marte style trauma is I'm not read causing Gabo addiction? Stuff, stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, but yeah, it is basically. Childhood trauma. Well, he's saying, yeah, that yeah, the trauma is the basis. It completely, fundamentally rewires your brain, essentially. And um, it goes through all the different parts. Something to, um, what was the name of the, the guy we had on the trauma? The <laughs> coaching guy. Oh, Shahan Sator. Yeah. Like he was saying, essentially. Sort of, you know, um, messes with everything. How you process things, basically. And he seems to get something like some crazy results out of some crazy kinds of therapy so one thing that i've uh, become quite interested in is something called neurofeedback you heard of this so uh, the term is familiar but explain so um it's about basically training your brain waves into the different uh frequency lengths oh like Jahan was saying b waves and so it's beta theta Alpha? Alpha. Somewhere else. I think there's about six. Upsilon. Yeah, maybe. Um, and uh, you can basically you put these electrodes on your head and you play a game. And the it, head of your penis? Yeah, obviously. Right. And um, you train your brain waves so they go into a, like a relaxed state. And he says, he says that he gets like some crazy, some like really... 
um, miraculous results from using it with certain patients that haven't um, had any gains from any other kind of therapy. And are his patients sort of exclusively people who've had childhood trauma? In his in his private practice, that's what it seems to be, yeah. Right. Um, but he basically um, got... When they were training on it themselves, they said he did it on a long weekend. And I've looked into it. You can do a course for 1,500 quid. It's five days. Um, and you... A treatment course or an instructor course? Instructor course. So you right. learn how to use the equipment. And um, he said that one of the people there, he said he, he had like a result from it. He didn't say that he necessarily was traumatized, but he said he was quite an anxious person. He put these electrodes on his head, trained his brain. And apparently what happens is is it um, recalibrates the... Uh, electrical impulses in the brain and therefore the brain waves that are going on so the certain brain wave states are associated with an anxious state or a threatened state and then if you train your brain in so so what he then does is he he will target certain brain areas so um i think one of the ones he goes on about is the something like the medial prefrontal cortex or something like that that's to do with he calls it the watchtower. Yeah, that's my favourite part. Yeah. Uh, so you might do it on there to kind of shut uh, anxiety down or something. I'll put it near the amygdala for that. I can't remember the exact places. But I could learn that for 1,500 quid. Right. Can you shrink your amygdala? Yeah. That's what he's saying. That's what you need to do, yeah. That's but the fear response uh, centre. One of the better ones was called psychomotor therapy. And this is where you... Um, Sounds like a Prodigy album. Well, it could be. Um, this is where you act out in a group your traumas. Oh, my God! So you would, you would say... <laughs> it's, it's, got a, it's got a very strange script, like something like a witness notices um, that you are becoming upset at this point. Are you retarded? Something like that. Um... And you get pick people in the group to play the roles of like you know people who've traumatized you. So you get your mum, your oh dad, God. and but you and then like the therapist, him is the director, and then they act it out. And he says that this activates the kind of uh, spatial part of your brain, which is in the right hemisphere, I think he said, which is also where your emotion. Emotional parts of the brain are essentially, right. so it, it kind of taps into that. How old's this guy? He must be in his late sixties, I would have thought by now. He's still alive then. Yeah, he was training. He was training. He said he started his psychiatry training in the seventies. So, and he started, but it's really interesting. It's dead easy to read. It's all broken up. It's like a. It's a quite a long book. Yeah, I was thinking of getting him on. Um. I think he's quite famous. He's like a, a, a New York Times... Matt Apocalypse wants us to get Gabor Mate on. Yeah, I know. I was laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, he's, he's, yeah, it's like a New York Times bestseller, the book. Mm. So it's been, it keeps going in and out of the um, charts, essentially, because it's so popular. It's, a really, it's wow, like a and it's been out a few years. Eight, still... eight years, I think. Wow, and it still come, keeps coming back. That's yeah. interesting. I think so. I think I don't know when he, When I was looking at it, I thought it was published in like twenty. 20- 13 but 
he re- makes reference, unless it is an updated thing, he makes reference to something in 2014 in it. So it might be then. But he basically started in the 70s and you know, he was he worked with World War II veterans and then Vietnam veterans and he couldn't figure out what to do with them, basically, in terms I of the PTSD. A lot of, a lot of mushrooms, no? <clears throat> no, um, he doesn't talk about... Uh, it out, it's not research. N- not though. at all, no. He does all different kinds of things. Right. Which is equally as interesting. I mean, who doesn't want to act things out? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of like a bit like exposure therapy, isn't it? Reacting, uh, reenacting the well, situation. This is, well, it's a bit, it gets a bit weird in terms of how he conceptualizes it in that you, if you expose someone to, if you relive a memory, it doesn't necessarily reintegrate the memory into your autobiographical memory. So it doesn't become part of the story of your life. Whereas if you do EMDR, I can't remember the acronym, what that stands for. Something like eye movement, desensitization. Ritual. Something, something. I don't know, can't remember. Um, I should do, but I can't. Um, he said, yeah, that if you do like, you know, these the psychomotor therapy, that it reintegrates it. So there's this thing called image rescripting where if you had a particularly traumatic um, thing happen to you as a therapist, what you can do is you can ask the person to take themselves back there in their imagination and then whilst they get to the most difficult point of that part of the memory, you ask them to bring in something that would save the day. Like an axe? Yeah, an axe. Or you could bring in Superman, or you could make yourself, like, 100 times bigger. Wow, that's almost like lucid dreaming. Yeah, and uh, it seems to update (laughs) the memory, essentially. Wow. And make it so you can incorporate it into your... All of a sudden, you're Wolverine. Yeah. Pull your uh, claws out and go to town on the rapist. Yeah, or um, I've done it with someone, and it was just the the they came and um, gave them a hug, essentially themselves as an older self, and told them what they wow. needed to know at that point. Oh, that's amazing! Um, it, and it's something they obviously wouldn't think about doing if you're just replaying there. Um, so that is essentially what you do with this psychomotor training, but you do it in real life. In three and make use of your three D brain essentially. You might find uh, myth and trauma interesting. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that uh, a lot of Dave's ideas is that we're all traumatized. Well, that, yeah. and it, the root of it is our disconnection from our higher selves. Essentially, I think that's what Jung says, isn't it? I don't know. I've never read any Jung. Like I said, that's why I borrowed that book off you. I think so. And uh, the myths describe ways in which you can reattach. Yeah. Reattach to And you make self. a fucking flying horse come out of your neck, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's... certain constellations play certain roles within the myths. Yeah. So, like, um, the Hercules is often the deity, the god mm-hmm. character. Ophiuchus is like the mediator between you in the terrestrial sense and the deity. So it's, it's ana- analogizing your journey to your higher self via Orphucus. He's the instinct. He's the, and the different myths relate the story in d- the same story in different ways. That's the one about Midas, King Midas, 
where he, you know it's the Midas touch yeah he makes a poor choice Dionysus offers him a, a wish and he says well I want everything I touch to turn to gold mm-hmm. and then his his daughter runs at him because she hasn't seen no! him for so long and hugs him and she's and he goes back to the the god and he, he the god forgives him and gives him the instruction to go and, and jump in the river mm. which is like the root of the milky way and like perseus his head is stuck in the milky way the constellation so perseus plays the role of midas in that myth mm. and all these myths have these same sort of roots to them it's wild yeah uh, yeah yeah i think you find it interesting no. You read it, in, like Dave said, you read it in a day. It's only 500 and something pages. Well, that book took me, that book, that uh, Bessel's book is 400 odd pages. Ooh, tiny writing as well. Oh. But it was a page turner. Well, this is weeks. it. Yeah. You see, I remember listening to a guy once who said that you should put books down if you're not enjoying it. Mm. And uh, I refuse because, you know, I don't want to miss out. Right. And you've already invested so many times, so much time if you're 100 pages into a book, mm. and you're not really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I just fucking plod on. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you think, well, if I'd have stopped and picked something up that was, I was really motivated to read and I was enjoying it, I would get through You get through them quicker, you see. Like you say, it's page turner. Mm. I think that it helped with that one in particular. It's all, all the chapters are, are broken up. So, you know... The sections in the chapter and a, a maximum of four pages, and it goes on to another thing and another thing and another thing. And it's all interlinked. It's yeah. good. Right. Okay. A wank, I think. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Maybe not in that way. No. You're very quiet, Ben. You have nothing. Been... Nothing to add to that. Uh, no, I've, I've drifted off. To be honest. Uh, <laughs> wow. You're doing emails. <laughs> no. No. What you, what, is it Google News? Space weather news? What are you looking at? No, no. Um, let's have a look. The US military has shut down another um, unidentified flying object today. Is Where? that the, can, can I, the one over Canada? No, another one. This is over Michigan. Oh. Did, have you seen anything about Uruguay? You are gay. You are as well. Uruguay. I thought I saw something about... Uh, the UAE and Uruguay have been shut down today as well. It might have been on wackonews.com, but it's not on the main, yeah. the main channels on the frames. More than likely. Right, let's uh, let's move on. Should we do some, some news? I've got some clips and stuff lined up. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of... I get sick of all these reboots. Like, every show, there's no original... Very few original ideas. It's just remakes and reboots of different... What, like shows. Raised by Wolves? Well, I haven't watched yeah, that. that's an amazing original show. A it's reboot of so, the... So amazing it lasted two seasons. And then yeah, got because, yeah, because it was unbelievably highbrow. <laughs> I believe you're a fan of the uh, OA, Phil. Yeah, yeah. A similar date. Yeah, so when was that? It's like six years ago. Did that come out or something? Yeah. Yeah, most of the stuff is just remakes and reboots, and uh, which can be disappointed, but this is a reboot I can get behind. she hooked. Yes, Faulty Towers, hello. More than 40 years later, these scenes will be returning to our screens. 
The show was widely regarded as one of the greatest British sitcoms of all time. It ran for four years between 1975 and 1979 and followed the misadventures of hotelier Basil and his wife Sybil as they tried to keep their business and marriage afloat. What did you hit me for? How dare you? How dare you? For decades, the idea of a reboot seemed unthinkable. The show's star, John Cleese, said there would never be another episode. However, under the production of Rob Reiner, the director behind This Is Spinal Tap, the 83-year-old actor announced he'll be reprising the role of Basil Fawlty and starring alongside his daughter Camilla, who'll be playing his long-lost daughter. The story will explore how Basil navigates the modern world whilst running a boutique hotel. But for a 70s series that was very much of its time, will it appeal to a modern audience? Updated for modern audiences. Faulty Towers coming back. Updated for modern audiences, did that say then? Well, maybe it will be. That was that was the drinker. Do you not recognise his voice? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I was just yeah. trying to tell what it said. I couldn't quite make it out. Updated for modern audiences. Updated for modern audiences. Well, we'll see. This is what uh, one comedian had to say about it. When I first saw that they were doing a reboot, my initial reaction was, oh, God, no. Um, but then you, you think, you know, um, Rainer is on board, who's just brilliant, so that, that's going to bring a whole new level to it. Um, and why shouldn't it be rebooted as long as it's done whereby he looks perhaps at things he's done and said in the past and not necessarily apologises, but realises that perhaps, you know, in modern times those types of things wouldn't be so acceptable. There has been no word yet on whether any of the original cast will return. Though sadly, Andrew Sachs, who played Spanish waiter Manuel, passed away in 2016. He tried to see in Rome to see girls, she make him crazy. Come the show was remade in the US three times. All failed. But he's hoping the only fault in this reboot will be in the name. Natalia Hodkera, Five News. Yeah, it's coming back. It's nailed on, it seems. But you would hope that, um, what's his face, John Cleese is quite an outspoken, um, like a non-PC guy, isn't he? I've heard him talk and things like that, so I don't, I'm not sure. But what kind of counterbalance is that is um, he's well known, isn't he, for being like um, getting divorced and losing all of his money. So he might just sign up for anything for millions. Well, he he famously did the alimony tour. Yeah. After one of his divorces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be any sign of that. He's happily married. Right, okay. Again. What <laughs> network is going to touch that with a barge pilot? Will it be on GB News? They could bring back <laughs> Till Death Us Do Part as well and have Al Garnet Hour. People I, will lap it up. At least 100 people will lap it up. I think it'll get more like views than, you know, the latest Marvel product, a Star Wars product. You think it'll it? get more views than the latest Marvel product? Yeah. She-Hulk. <laughs> okay. What, you we mean do that... eat a billion chickens a year, by the way. <laughs> what do you think it would... I mean, because Marvel spits out a new series every couple of months. Faulty Towers is going to tank in hard. Oh, all right. Okay. Why? If it even gets Why made, do... I don't think it'll get made. No, no network will touch it. Why? Because of... I mean, he's... Damaged goods now, isn't he? He's been on GB News. He's got his own show. People think he's a he's one of the conspiracy wag jobs. No one's going to touch it. 
So it either won't get made. Or even even made, with a uh, very limited audience. Even with Rob Reiner behind it producing. I think so. Yeah. No network will, will touch it. I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, it's seen as one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. I would say. Mm. Um, so yeah. I think there would be some some clamour. I think people will be interested. I don't I mean. I don't think. It, I'm not sure it'd be any good, but I'm sure people will want to see it. I think the point you made first is is most important. I'm sick of seeing old stuff. Why not make something new and modern? You're right. It's all just rehashes. It's been done. You know, how old were you when Fully Towers went off air the last time? Oh, I. You're not young. I used to watch the VHSs at my grand's house. She had the box set. I used to we're not relevant anymore. Them. People are aging older. What's the point of, of rebooting an old show? Do something new. I mean, the thing I, what the the big thing with John Cleese is his physicality is a bit like Jim Carrey in that respect. Mm-hmm. And as an eighty-three-year-old man, he's not going to have that component to his performance, you know. No, no, he's so going to have a big. He's going to be in a big bloody box soon, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I think I think, pe- I think people will watch. I think people will watch it. You know, people watch like Benny Dorm and stuff. So yeah. I think people will watch it. Benny Dorm is very popular. What's people that other still one? Watch Hollyoaks. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's that? Paradise. Policeman. Top. Death in Paradise. Yeah. Never yeah. seen it. No. Well, who watches? I mean, I would say the demographics of TV watchers is is only getting older. Uh, the youngsters tend to watch um, YouTube and streaming, Twitch, stuff like that. So I think it will PC3. appeal. It will appeal to an older audience. Mm. So yeah, I th- I think it will. I mean, it sounds like it's going to get made, and I think a network will pick it up. Definitely, I don't know. You think he's What's tainted that? goods because he's been on GB News? I think it's a strange. It's... Yeah, he's he's not he's not aligned with the modern way of thinking. I think the mainstream way of thinking. He's a dinosaur. Yeah, pretty he, much. he believes in free speech and stuff. Nephilim and Nephilim. <laughs> Carpet talkers. Matt Apocalypse wants to reboot Harry Potter with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the lead. Does he? Yeah, yeah. I saw the comment before. Wow, wow, wow. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger could be um, the big giant thing. What's he called? Schwartz? The big giant. Hagrid. Oh, Hagrid. Sword. Hagrid's brother. The giant. The actual giant. I don't know. Hagrid's only a half giant. Okay. Who did. Who did what? Who's his mum then? Who was not the giant? I don't know which way it was, which way it worked. I mean, we would hope the mum was the giant. <laughs> yeah. I think it would have to be that way. No? Yeah. Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> maybe maybe the dad was put in the wrong end. Over and over. Right. Wow. You nonplussed at my joke then. Sorry, I was looking at my piece of paper. I was looking to move on. Oh, right, okay. It- Okay. I thought um, there was a big controversy over the new video game, the new Harry, oh, Harry Potter video game, Hogwarts Legacy. Because of her views. That's what I... That's oh, the angle. That yeah. was the angle that I read. Yeah, there was calls to boycott it, wasn't there? 
Yeah, because women women who menstruate. <laughs> Don't they all menstruate? Uh, not according <laughs> to some people, no. Right. Yes, there was a big uh, uh, kerfuffle about the Hogwarts legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's the, the first trans character appears in the video game of, right. of, of, Harry, of Hogwarts legacy. I've got a clip here. See if you can spot her. I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, Ben. Actually, can I you hear can this? The, uh, can you hear this French thing. French lady, Ben? Uh, I can hear her on the on the YouTube if I unmute it. Well, there's a, like a thirty second delay. That's not gonna work, is it? Can you not hear it? No. I'll imagine it. No. No. We should have tested this before the Zoom. All right. Uh, yeah. Here's a clip. See if you can spot the uh, the new trans character. Now, what can I... Oh, there's a face I haven't seen before. <laughs> it's my first time here. Welcome. Butterbeer's on me. <laughs> Heard about the attack. I shall be looking in on the other shopkeepers and residents shortly. Glad to see you two escaped injury. Thanks to this one. Single-handedly took down a troll. Is that right? Well done. Thanks for this. My pleasure. Is this a joke? No, this is from the video game. Oh, right, okay. It's not funny. <laughs> but I thought... <coughs> what? I thought what? I don't want to get crucified on the internet. So, All right, censor yourself then. Go on. So I just thought, you know, like a trans person generally has like a, a higher sounding voice. Really? Or if they're going the other way. Oh God! What? What were they then? <laughs> I don't know. Well, this, maybe this will help. I've got another clip. We, we go a bit into a backstory here. I was surprised that you seemed friendly with the goblin. I've known him for years. We met when I was waiting tables here as a student, well before I bought the place. He was cordial enough, but we weren't friends then. His mistrust of wizard kind ran deep. But you're friends now. We are. I hadn't seen him in years when he came in a few months ago. But he recognised me instantly, which is more than I can say for some of my own classmates. Took them a second to realise I was actually a witch, not a wizard. Yeah, she she identifies as a witch, you see, not a wizard. Right, okay. Any self-respecting Wiccan will tell you that a witch (laughs) can be male or female anyway. So, exactly. So they got slammed. They got slammed for this, and uh, all the for that, the, that, the weird lefties are calling for it to be boycotted. Yeah, it's just it's a mad world, man. So why? What's wrong with that? Because it's the, the voice is too manly. <laughs> but it's it's a, a trans lady, isn't it? So it's it's a biological male. Who's going to have a man's voice? Yeah, that's, I'm just very confused now. Yeah, well, it is. Oh, imagine if you were ten <laughs> playing it. Yeah. How confusing it would be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's bizarre. Oh. <laughs> oh, we've got Danny G in the chat. Chungus never seems so <laughs> sus, so sus, so sus. He vents to electrical. Oh. oh. Willie G. Danny G. Willie G. Willie G. 
Oh dear. Um, yeah, I just prefer. Can we just stick to playing uh, Farage jingles? It's easier to understand what's happening. Well, funny you mentioned because uh, Nigel, big Nigel, was on trigonometry this week. Again, he's a regular. I think it's his third or fourth appearance. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's always good value. Mm. So he's a good guest. Mm. Very. Uh, so it's, he is charismatic the way he talks, and uh, I feel I feel I'm a bit sort of worried about him. Really, I think he might be on a bit of a downer. I think he might be laying some groundwork here for a big reveal. I think he's had a bit. He's going through a bit of a crisis of confidence. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. I'm too lazy. I don't get out of bed in the morning. I smoke drugs. Give me money. <laughs> is that Ben? He's talking about Ben. Hey, I get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, you do. Well, it's, technically it's night time when you get out of bed. There's <laughs> my one-fifth uh, of a normal person's sleep. What time do you get up in the morning? It's a standard time, isn't it? Me? Yeah. What time do I get up? Yeah. Um, About ten past seven. Oh, half the day's gone, man. Mm. Okay. He, he wakes up and goes, a wank, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Start the day off right. Yeah. Tree partridge fashion. Mm. You're in jingle, <laughs> I'm too fat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too stupid. Too lazy? I'm too lazy. Based Sigma Chad. I smoke drugs. Um, there, there may be a reason why he's been on a bit of a downer. He was, he was, he sort of summed up the future trajectory in the West of the West mm. towards the end of the interview, and, and it went thusly. I'm a pragmatist. I'm a former businessman that got involved in politics. Uh, I haven't got time for ranting conspiracy theories. I do believe in asking questions. But, but these, these are the directions that the West is going in. Increased welfareism, increased tax, reduction of choice, infringement on free speech, and ultimately total control of our lives. Fucking black-pilled. He's <laughs> fucking black-pilled. Yeah. Yeah, Came over, he's literally man. a pragmatist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was talking about uh, CBDCs and uh, surveillance and stuff. Yeah, he's not he's not happy with the, the way it's going, direction of travel. Just out of interest, Phil. But unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm too stupid. It's too stupid. How many coloured pills are there? Yeah. Well, you know the the red and the blue pill. In the, in the Matrix. Yeah. And then you've okay. got the white pill. The hell is that? That's where you go to God. Religion. Religion. Even I know that. Even I know Press the white pill. And uh, the black pill, which is nihilism, basically. Interesting. They're the only four that, that I know. Four Sorry? pills. Four pills. They're the ones I know. Oh, okay, cool. Gee, I don't. I've got no any others. You heard any others? Didn't even know this thing. I only knew the Matrix reference. <laughs> yeah, he's black pilled. I think. Yeah. It's a doom spiral. Mm. Well, that's what you get when I smoke drugs. Yeah. Drugs are bad and all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, nice. You know what they say. 
What did they say? Eat food. <laughs> Not too much. Mainly plants. Mainly plants. Yes. Well, he's been red-pilled, hasn't he? He's has definitely been red-pilled, yeah. Nurse Gladys. Yeah. Nurse Gladys Emmanuel. Mm. Dr. John Coleman, he's, he's swallowed a dozen red pills over the last he is, six months, I would say. He has gone down the rabbit hole. I was, I was watching his latest video today about excess deaths. And, yeah, he's still startled that nobody talks about them. Yeah, it's the same thing, isn't it? No one talks. 40% in Germany. 40% excess deaths overexpected. Wow. No one wants you know, to know. that just means there's going to be more food to go around, <laughs> mostly plants, for the rest of the people who are alive. Mm. Every cloud, eh? That's it. What's the opposite of a black pill? Because I think I'm on one right now. <laughs> Literally a pregnancy. I think you're on the blue pill, Ben. Come on. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah. Anything else you want to do? Oh, yeah, talk I, about? I wanted you to show me some videos of um, car-sized cuboid flying objects being shot down by F-45s or whatever F-22s. they are. F, uh, yeah. As if, uh, as if, F-22s. As if a old mothership <laughs> with interstellar travel is going to get shot down by a fucking F-22. Honestly. Okay. So what? What, what are we saying then? <laughs> well, I would say they're not, they're not uh, UFOs. They're not aliens. Oh, what was that then? No. It's no. 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 You know, if, if I'd had a bit of warning, I could have. Uh, well, I assumed because you said page. I've got some clips for you. Yeah, not the UFO stuff. That's just been happening. UAPs. Look. There we go. It's just been happening over the weekend, this. These UAPs getting shot down. There we go. Oh, that's not it. <laughs> God, this is hard work. It's tough, isn't it? Well, UFOs aren't weird enough anymore. What's that crashed helicopter? Is that in Ukraine or something? <laughs> there. Oh, it's just a nonsense video, isn't it? The TIE fighter. I'm not doing this now. He's not sad. doing it. He's ruined it. He's ruined the podcast. Go on, look on Twitter. It's uh, on the internet. No. The interwebs. I just wait for it to come out on BBC. Oh, <laughs> good luck. Some um, commercial airline pilot videoed this thing out of the cockpit before it was shot down. It's like a black box. With, doesn't seem no to have, network is going to pick that up. Doesn't seem to have any rotors, no stream of exhaust coming out of it just sort of going across the sky and the F-22 shot it down apparently maybe oh. it's chemtrail feature was turned off Kemp. hemp trails Kemp. <laughs> I don't know it might have been powered by hemp could be yeah magical plant mm. maybe fly by rope Well, it's nearly half time. The sun is getting low. Is it time? To praise Javelin. Got to Somerset. Yeah. Wagwan fam, you're going to Somerset. Um, it was the State of the Union address this week. Oh, no. Bojan. Creepy Uncle Joe. Did they give him a big shot in the ass? They certainly did. He was on something. They obviously dosed him up with something. 
Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Joe Biden. (laughs) What is he saying? Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Does he say no one wants to rule China? It probably is quite a few people. Mm. Who's the... No, I don't know. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Change places? Yeah, Kim Jong-un. Did he change places with uh, Xi Jinping? Rishi Sunak? He would like to. Who would like to change places with Xi Jinping? That's what he was trying to say. Willie G. Oh. <laughs> Willie G. Uh, I don't know. This, is, this was a better one. If you try anything to raise the cost of presenting jobs, I will veto it. He just, if he doesn't, can't, if he can't read a word, he just goes, dub, 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 and then just goes over it. If you try anything to raise the cost of Brazilian jobs, I will veto it. Now, there's, there's some, Brazilian jobs? Brazi- I thought it was Brazilian jobs. There is, there is a word in there, isn't there? There's definitely jobs. If you try anything to raise the cost of Brazilian jobs, I will veto it. Something jobs. Hairy legs. <laughs> Something jobs. I don't know. It, it, it st- stuff gets stuck in his mouth, doesn't it? What is a Brazilian job? Don't put it into Google on your work laptop. NS, NSW. Yeah. NSFW. Yeah. Brazilian jobs. Yeah. Brazilian rim job. <laughs> I've got to go and see the Romanian on Plungy soon. Why? Shoulder. Shoulder's giving me jib. Can you not just hang it out? Have you not bought your pull-up bar yet? Mm, I have a pull-up bar. Yeah, have you not been using it? No, my shoulder's sore. Yeah, exactly. That's why you need to use it. Build up that shoulder muscle. And off it for a while. Mm. I can do I can do five pull ups. I'm now not taking any row. advice off you when it comes to Body strength training. <laughs> 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 well, is it strength and conditioning? I need phys- I need a physio. I thought you were gonna say I need a physicist. <laughs> An occult physicist. <laughs> yeah. He could start. Based Sigma Chad. Maybe he needs to strike a point of arcs of, what is it called? Latitude from Mm. your shoulder to your prostate. Maybe maybe something's getting backed up. Pretty pretty tiny arcs then. (laughs) That would be arc milliseconds, I think. Yeah, nanoseconds. I don't get out of bed in the morning. No, you don't. You You don't, do you? No. What do you think is wrong with your shoulder? I don't know, because it's worse in the mornings. It's muscular. I know it's muscular. So if I move my arm with that arm, it doesn't hurt. But under my own motion. Ah, I struggled to put my hand over my head. Really? How long has that been an issue? Months. Probably a rotator cuff injury. But the thing is that I'm sure it's muscular rather than... uh, what have you got around there? Jointing. Jointer. Jointer. Is it on top when you move it? Or? Yeah, top of my shoulder. Oh, he's got a heavy arm. It's on the fat. Ooh. I was going to say it's all the masturbating. <coughs> well, <laughs> run, boy. Respect. Yeah. <laughs> right, should we go then? Which arm do you do all your electrical work with? Both. 
like an animal. I'm ACDC, aren't I? Yeah. I'm a bit extras. So, do you have to get like both right handed and left handed screwdrivers? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can use either. Oh, I can use okay. either. I'm universal. Mm. Any tool. Mm, good. Uh, grip strength, I use my right hand. Really? Yeah, gripping tools, I use my right hand. Okay. But screwing, I can screw with either hand. Hammer, I would generally use my right hand. Right, okay. I'm I'm probably more right-handed than left-handed in the tools department. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Is it? No. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah, we need some chi for Phil, don't we? Well, we've, we're spent, I think. We're spent for this week. Mm. We'll have to wait till yeah. next week. Mm. So, so much in the tank. Yeah. Right. Should we go? Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we won't be here next week. Live. No. Uh, hopefully a video will come out. Jesus. On, sorry. Hopefully a video <laughs> will come out around Saturday. We're doing mm. a pre-record next week. We're away. We're away. We're away next Saturday, next weekend. We're going with Willie G, aren't we? Oh, we? Oh! Wagwan fam. We're not, are we going to Somerset? Yeah, we're going to Somerset. Wagwan fam, you're going to Somerset. Cool. Yeah. Run, boy. Respect. So, uh, yep, we won't be here next week. No. Live. Unless something happens. <laughs> Some uh, disaster happens and we are here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might. That may occur. <clears throat> <clears throat> and the week after is uh, rum, um, rum boy barn raising <laughs> barn raising so we'll see you live in two weeks yeah two weeks okay. from now yeah well, take hope, care hope you're entertained are you not entertained enjoy your fortnights of not the Amish Inquisition <laughs> why I love you <laughs> epic dub right Ciao for now. Right, bye. Bye. Thank you for watching. People are suffering. I am not gay. Jesus Christ. Boot your teacher out Mr. Peter Bone. I want this penis off my arm, please. Grab his dick and twist it. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. You're a big chungus.